take a moment just to thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done, all that you continue to do. Lord, you have blessed us. You kept us. You allowed us to wait to see yet another Sabbath day. And for that purpose, Lord, we are excited to be here. We're asking, Lord, that you will bless every family, every individual that is here today. Lord, we want to lift up our family that's going through bereavement, Lord, this Stewart family as well as the Lawrence family, Lawrence McKinley family. Father, we ask that you would allow us to love on them and that we would be, Lord, what you would have us to be, your, your outstretched hand touching them. And so in that precious name of Jesus, we call upon your blessings. Amen. Amen. Just a few remarks as we go into our, our worship this morning. Pastor sends you greetings. He want to let you know that he's with you. He's in Michigan, but he's going to be watching and, and sharing this blessing with us. Amen. And so we just want to be happy and thankful that he's had an opportunity to go and be with his family. Amen. And we just want to ask God's blessings upon them as they continue to uh, worship and, and keep us. We also want to give out a hearty welcome and amen to our guest speaker. You'll talk about him a little bit more, but Chaplain Corey Douglas. I just say he's come back home. Come on, say amen. amen. Then we also want to take our time to just thank you for those who are faithful and, and giving to the building pledge. We are still working on moving forward. Come on, say amen. amen. And at this present time, we actually have $14,191.60. Come on, say amen. I say that's a good start. God is good. Also want to remember our friends, Naps, amen. I love it when they come here and they tell us about the wonderful things that they're doing in the various lands, and we have the opportunity to sponsor one of them. Come on, say amen. amen. And so many of us have made pledges. We want you to remember your pledge. We're coming up on March, and March is when we're supposed to have all our funds in, and I think we're doing pretty well in that regard. Come on, say amen. amen. And then also we want to remember... My favorite, and I tell you, it, it's interesting because I have an opportunity to work with the little ones all the way up to the old ones. And we do have youth ministries this, this afternoon at what time? I don't see the name around here, but 3 o'clock. Come on, say amen. I believe it's 3 o'clock. So at 3 o'clock, we're going to be having youth ministry. I am excited um, about the youth and the things that they're doing and where they're going. You may not know, but they do a lot of stuff outside the church. And they do a lot of service, and they do a lot of help with uh, different individuals. And so we just want to thank them for their, their commitment to being good and faithful servants of God. Amen. And also, I so missed it last week, but I understand we had a volleyball game last Saturday night. And I, oh, yeah. and, and I believe we might have just won. All right, Dad. Amen. <laughs> But we are continuing that, that, that stride. We have another game tonight that's going to be at 630 at uh, Northside. And so all those who can, please come out and support our volleyball team and volleyball game. Amen. Amen. And just thank God for those youth that have the ability to move and jump still. Come on, say amen. And then finally, I want you to remember probably one of my favorite is our Connect Bible Study slash prayer, prayer meeting. I promise you, if you come out and, 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 and study with us, you will learn so much, and it will change you so much from the inside out. I promise you, you pick up God's word, and there's a blessing awaiting for you. 
But not only that, then we go into a little prayer season, and we pray. And I'm telling you, there's power in prayer. There, there was a sister that was sitting over there last week that had a stroke. Come on, say amen. amen. And it's because of the power of Thank prayer that she has come through. Come on, amen. say amen. So there's power in the prayer. We invite you to come out and worship with us. We invite you to come out and have study with us on Wednesday nights. We want to thank those who are on the internet and various other items of worship with us. We invite you to continue praying with us and worshiping with us. And we thank you from the top of our hearts. Tabernacle of Praise loves you. Happy Sabbath, church. Is it all right if we welcome the welcome you into this house? Because we know the Holy Spirit is already here. Yes. We just want to acknowledge his presence. Praise the Lord. Welcome into this place. I just have to say something really quick. The devil is trying to destroy our church. Right now, we have a sister that is in the hospital fighting with her father. Um, she told us, she sent us a message that, you know, he's in critical condition. So at this very moment, I just want to pray, and then we're going to go right into this song as we usher in the Holy Spirit. Dear God, you are amazing. You are worthy to be praised. It is not by chance that we are here, God. There's a lot of people sitting on their deathbed today, God. And because of your grace and your mercy, you allowed us to see another day. But because of you, God, and all that you do for us, we are not worthy, God, but you are here. We can't even know. We don't even know. Thank you, but you are here. You, so, God, I just bless your name in this place right now. And I ask that you will usher in your Holy Spirit so that it can take over this room. So that when we came, how we came in here, we do not leave the same. Be with Andrea right now, God, as she's praying over her father. And anyone else who is praying over their loved one. Be with them right now. Use her hand, God. Touch her hand. Make it a healing hand. At this moment, God, I declare healing. Healing over her, his life. Healing. Let her see her father another day because it is well, God. It is well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we lift our hearts, 
morning at Happy Sabbath Church. Happy Sabbath. Good morning. So I want to call all the children up for a thank offering. Please and thank you. Come on, little kids. Come on, little children. So while the uh, while the kids go around and take up offering, um, I would like to ask anybody if they have a special testimony to give. Well, I certainly have one. If you guys don't know, my grandpa just made it home. Amen. So thank God for that. That he Amen. has made a recovery, but he is still in progress. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everyone. I'm committed to having a testimony. Uh, last week, I wasn't here. I missed it. But the week before that, I, I remember I walked into someone's house. I said, I feel so good. You know, I'm just feeling great, awesome. The next day, I start feeling a little something, something in my throat. By Wednesday, I was so all of it in a fever that lasted for the next four days. The Lord, I was just out of it. But I just want to say thank you to to the Lord and thank you to my sisters who called and who texted me and said I'm praying for you looking forward to seeing you this week I'm also thankful for uh, my sister stopping by bringing me some natural remedies to help me get it back on my feet Amen. I just want to thank you for the love I received I thank God for his goodness for putting me on the minds of others I'm just praising him this morning I really I'm gonna say it again I feel so good and I'm just so grateful for God's goodness We'd like to welcome all of our visitors. Do we have any visitors? If, you ha if there are any visitors in the room, please stand up. All right, then everybody's, okay, we got a visitor right here. Everybody put your hands together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What's your name, sir? Lewis. Everybody, look, we want to give him the warmest welcome. The Jesus in me loves a Jesus in Lewis, right? Loves a Jesus in Lewis. So please introduce yourself and give a warm welcome for everybody that's here today because we should not be here, but we're here. Let's do it. 
because I feel like we needed a welcome. Amen. If you're following the program, it's now time for one of my favorite part of the services, which is opportunity to praise God. Even when it doesn't feel like we should be praising him, it's just, a, it's just an opportunity for us to show him that he's worthy to be praised. Not because he deserves our praise, right? No, he does deserve our praise. Not because we deserve to be here right now. No, because he deserves our praise. So even in affliction, even when it looks like things are grim. Look, I, that is my story. I live by that message. Even when it looks like it's messed yeah, up, yeah. we praise God. Because it's when it's messed up that God perfects our patience in him. On, so that Jesse. we recognize who is the God That's that wakes right. us up in the morning. Right. Who is the God yeah. that fixes the water to be perfect? Yeah. Who is the God that aligns the moon, the sun, and yeah. the stars to stay in perfect, perfect harmony? Yeah. So that we can wake up and say, thank you, Jesus. A little bit of thank you, Jesus. So we're, it's it's African American, it's it's, it's, Af, it's, it's African centric. You know that you see our colors. So we're gonna um, take you to a certain part of different parts of Africa. I know we have some Africans in here, you know, who represent different parts of the continent. And this song is an African medley. And I need some crowd participation. So real quick, I'm just gonna want you guys just to get used to this. All right, I'm okay. Say say hey. My God is good, oh, hey. hey, hey, my God is good, oh, hey, my God is good, oh, hey, you got it, you got it, my so God is good, now we're going to actually do the song, okay, all right, here we go, here we go, here we go, you ready, here we go, hey, ha, hey, say, hey, hey, my God is good, oh, hey, hey, hey my God is good, oh, hey, 
I wake up and I will sing my praises unto you, my Lord. I will dance and shout to you, for you have been my help now, now, to ever. Hey, everybody say, hey, my God is good. Oh. Hey, my God is good. Oh. Double double oh. Now double double. Everything now double double oh. Now double double. Everything now double double oh. Now double double. Everything now double double oh. Now double double. More power double double oh. Now double double. More strength now double double oh. Now double double. Provision double double oh. Now double double. Everything now double double oh. Now double double everything now double double oh now double hey, double hey, hey, my god is good oh hey, my god is good oh
But who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. The final say, Jehovah has the final final say. So no matter what the doctor says, Jehovah has the final say. they left disappointed um, there was a gentleman behind them and 
he saw what was going on. And after they left, he, he purchased the items for them and gave them. He gave them a note say, return, return this kindness forward. And later, the same, the same boy and mother who got that, 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 that kindness from that gentleman. That gentleman, he was old and he had a son and a granddaughter. His son and granddaughter went to the store to purchase some items as well. And when they reached the cashier, they didn't have as much money to pay for everything. So they put down some of the items. They put down the birthday cake for their, for their father. And there was this guy behind them who saw it and paid for the item for them and the birthday cake. And when he did that, they, they were just so thankful. So he gave him the note. And when he gave him the note, when they go home to their, to, their, to their father and grandfather, he gave him the note. And the same note was the same note he gave to that boy that time ago. And it just goes to say that whatever you give, it will return back to you. You don't know how God is going to do it. You don't know when he's going to do it. But God, he moves in mysterious ways. And so today is tithe and offering. Whatever you give to God, whatever, however faithful you are to God, the text says in Malachi that prove him now and see if he will not open up not the window but the windows of heaven and give you a blessing that your storehouse will not be empty. So as the deacon come, I'm going to pray and then remember to just be faithful to God. Whatever you give, you cannot outlast God giving. Amen. Let us pray. Great God, we are so thankful for this opportunity, oh God, to just give back to you, give back to the cause of this ministry. And so, oh God, as we, as we give, we just want to say that, Lord, we don't even have as much to give. But whatever we give, we ask that you will just bless it. Lord, we pray for those who have to give at this moment. And for those who do not have to give, I pray, oh God, that you will provide the means so that next time they will be able to give. Be with us all. In Jesus' name, I pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. And please remember, for those who are viewing online, you can give at and cash up at dollar sign top giving you can also go on our website at topsda.org and click that donate sign and give have a blessed day amen amen we're just so glad to be in god's house again this morning and we are just grateful to have pastor Corey douglas um here with us as you guys know that um he left our conference and he's at oakwood college and he's serving the students and whoever he is down there and i know he's doing something in the name of jesus but we recently found out that his, 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 his tiny wife, this is how good God is, carried two babies in her womb, a little boy and a little girl, and they are here, and we're praising God for this. So we're going to ask uh, Pastor uh, Corey if he would come on up at this time. This is not going to get the babies a mansion or anything like that. It's not going to get their college funded. But, you know, we just went around and we talked to the people and we said, you know what? We got two babies here, y'all, and we just want to give this little donation from the Tabernacle of Praise because we, we love you and we know that you're going to pass it on down to the babies. Thank you so much for being here with us. Isn't it time to say, oh, give thanks? Say, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Yes, he is good. Oh, give. Oh, give. Oh, give thanks unto 
It's back on us. Hallelujah. It's a long week, guys. It's a long week. Hymn of Meditation. Now, this is a song that the Holy Spirit just told me to put into the mix. It's not a African-American song. Um, and, I, and I need your help because it's I Am Healed. The song is I Am Healed. And, and, I, and something told me that somebody needed some healing. If you need some healing, just raise your hand. If you need some healing. If you need the Father just to come on, knock on by, just come back my side and say, I'm healed. Just say, I'm healed.
Praise the Lord. Happy Sabbath. Let's go ahead and say that uh, I'm so glad that I could be here at the top. Am I, am I supposed to say the top? Or am I supposed to just say top? <laughs> it's always good when you can get back to the top. The Lord has been merciful and kind. And just in case you don't know the God we serve, God that you may not serve yet, but will serve, is a merciful God. So I just want to take a second to thank God for his mercy, his grace, his providence, his will, his favor, whatever you want to call it, his sovereignty, that whatever it is that God has done to get me back to this place on this day, I want to say thank you to God. I do not counted anything like uh, to be, first of all, in the land of the living, nor to travel hours unscathed, safe from accident, harm, and danger. And of course, any time that God permits me to stand in front of his people and to share a word on his behalf, I count myself extremely humbled and 
So I thank God for his grace and for his mercy. I thank you, uh, Top, for your support, of course, your prayers. Uh, our family needs your prayers. Amen. Our, our nights, our sleep, our sleep needs your prayers. Our bank account needs your prayers. Just pray for us. As we've uh, made this transition, a lot of transitions, uh, new job, new city, new house, new kids, just a lot of new stuff. And uh, but we're grateful because, again, God is good and he is merciful. So I just want to thank God for my family, for my lovely wife, who I'm sure is online watching right now and had to chuckle to herself uh, because she was skinny and bored too. Uh, but I'm grateful for her and uh, for all of the sleepless nights that she is sacrificing right now, for life plans that she has put on hold to raise my children. I just want to say thank you. Uh, she is invaluable uh, and a key part of my life. So I praise the Lord for, for her. I want to thank God for my mother-in-law, too. Pretty much uh, retired to take care of her grandchildren. And is down in, in Huntsville. I want to say thank you for for her as well, for all my family, friends uh, uh, that have supported us, that pray for us. We just want to say thank you. Pastor Hunter has been very supportive as well. We praise God. You guys know I don't like to talk about myself, so I'm just going to go ahead and get right into the word of God today. If you could stand to your feet with me and take your Bibles in your hands, your iPads, your tablets, your phones, Android, Apple or otherwise, even if it's LG, we will not be mad. As long as the Bible app is on it, you can get to 1 Samuel chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number one on this second Sabbath in the month of February, the shortest month of the year that has been gifted to people of color. We have called it, labeled it Black History Month, 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I'm going to begin reading the word of God, verse number one. If you haven't, want to say amen? amen. If there's a visitor nearby you, someone who looks confused, just ease on over to them. Let them look at your Bible, your phone, whatever it takes, as long as they can read with us. I'm going to read in your hearing. First Samuel chapter 24, reading at verse number one, the Bible says, Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And when Saul took, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild oaks. And he came to the sheepfold on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recess of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand. You shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, far be it from me, or who am I, or why would I even dare, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. And David pursued this man, uh, persuaded his men with these words, and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And the Bible says that Saul arose, left the cave, 
and went on his way. I feel like I should read that again. David said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went his way. Today I want to speak just a little while on the subject. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, but I can't. Let's pray. Our Father God, we just are so grateful in the name of Jesus for your mercy, God, and for your grace. Because the reality, God, as I just love to say it, is that were it not for your grace, none of us in this room knows where we would be. The songwriter says that we would be on some, some wandering road to nowhere with our salvation up to us. And we know how that would go and how that would end. But because you are a merciful God, you have sent your son and you have given us salvation and life in Jesus. And we're just so grateful, God, today for your grace and your mercy. The reality, God, is that someone should have died or dropped dead when they set foot into your presence today. But because you're a merciful God, you bid us to set foot in the presence of Almighty God. We say thank you. And God, we've done our very best today to sing and to praise, to give, to exhort, to intercede. But right now, in the name of Jesus, we're praying that you will show up in this place and show yourself mighty and strong. Because, God, someone has come for a word of deliverance. Someone has come because they're at their wit's end. Someone has come because they've got nowhere else to go. Someone's marriage is on the line today. Someone is contemplating taking their life this very day. So give us deliverance, we pray, through your word. God, I'm really just praying that you make good on the promise of your word. Where the Son of God is lifted up. He will draw all men unto himself. And so God, hide me, but draw us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen? amen. And amen. You need to be seated in the presence of God. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, but I can't. Just can't. Black History Month is one of those special times in which we are caused to do three things in particular, to remember, to reflect, and to resolve. It is 28 days, albeit not 30 or 31, 28 days that we take the time to remember those who survived the atrocities of the transatlantic slave trade, survived the 400 years of chattel slavery in America that lived through Jim Crow as the country tried to regain its grip and lived through even the civil rights movement as we finally were able to hear, at least to some extent, freedom ring. It is a time in which we remember in particular those who have given their life, those who lost their life or violently had their lives altered or ended simply so that somebody could put a little bit of sugar in their tea and have just a little bit more clothes on their back. It is a time in which we reflect on the fact that not only did someone give their life so that others could live a better life, but we also reflect on the fact that even though a people were beaten and downtrodden and enslaved, that it did not stop some from rising above the atrocities of the day in order to 
to give back to and progress and advance the very same society that caused its demise. It is a time that we remember those who have gone before, but it is also a time in which we resolve that though we have trod through those, uh, those cliffy paths, that we will, by God's grace, make it safe at last, never again to go through the same thing we've gone through before, but instead, by his might, be led into the light by the grace of God, never again experiencing such a terrible time. But not only is the time of Black History Month, these 28 days, a time to remember and to, uh, to reminisce, to reflect on, and to be resolved about our future, but it is also a time for another triune word. I don't know how you feel about February, but for me in particular, and I know someone in the room can get this, February for me is also a time of shoulda, woulda, and coulda. It's a time where we don't just remember of all the people who courageously live, but a time in which we begin to recount to ourselves of what should have been, what would have been, and what could have been. We recount to ourselves what the world should have been if just a few people had stood up to the slave trade. We talk about and we think to ourselves of what could have been if only the slaves had rallied together and turned themselves against the evil of their then known world. And even for some of us, we dream about it. I know I'm not the only one of what we would have done if even we were alive back in those days. Some of us think that if we were alive, we would have been Harriet Tubman or we would have been the Cape Crusaders going around delivering folk. Some of us have said it even from our own mouths. Nobody would have ever beat me like that. Nobody would have ever enslaved me like that. They wouldn't have been able to catch me. They wouldn't have been able to rape me or whatever they did in those days. All the shoulda, woulda, coulda. And maybe if you're honest today, you will even admit that you have not only thought about what you would have done if you were in the place of those who have come before us, but you have maybe even thought about what you would have done, what you should have done or could have done if the roles had been reversed. What would I have done? What could I have done? What should I have done if people of color were the ones with all the power? What if it was us who had the ability to go into foreign lands and snatch mothers and fathers and children and separate them simply for monetary gain? And the reality is that although we think that we would have done better, the truth is that if we had the power that our, 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 our oppressors had, we probably would have done the same, if not worse. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. What if people of, of color were in control? But the honest truth is that it doesn't take Black History Month for us to begin to think about what should have been, what could have been, or what would have been. In fact, everybody in this room at least once or twice a day or even once or twice a week has a woulda, shoulda, coulda kind of moment. Let's just be honest in the room today that all of us at some point daydream about what we would do if the tables were turned, if we had the power, if we were God, or if we were able to call the shots. Some of us dream every day about whether or not or what we would do if we could have chosen the neighborhood that we grew up in or if we could have chosen our parents or we could have chosen which side of the tracks we were born on or if we could have chosen the school we went to or if we could have chosen the texture of our, of our hair or the color of our skin. Many of us have daydreamed all day long and sometimes weeks long about what we would have done, could have done, and should have done. Let's just be real. 
because there's someone in the room right now that knows that if you had the power today, that there's a job that somebody else has that they would not have. Somebody in the room has to be honest today to say that if it were up to you, that somebody would have gotten fired from their job a long time ago. If it were up to you, somebody in your neighborhood would be driving your car and you'd be driving their car. If it were up to you, your family would look different and someone else's family would look different. If it were up to you, somebody else's boo just be your boo. The reality is that if it were up to us, the young people understand that if it were really up to us, most, most of us would, wouldn't be Superman, we wouldn't be Captain America, we wouldn't be Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, we wouldn't even be Black Panther. The reality is that if we had the power today, most of us would be like Thanos. If we could find the infinity stones with a snap of our fingers, we would make most of the population of the world disappear. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. But I hate to break it to you today. No matter how much time you spend thinking about what you woulda done, shoulda done, or coulda done, you simply cannot. You can't. See, the reality is that we cannot control the past Neither can we control the future. I'm going to say this. Listen to me. The only thing that we can control is what we do in the right here and the right now. It is a lesson that King David, the would-be king, the should-be king, the could-have-been king, but the yet-not-yet-crowned king would learn in this cave in 1 Samuel chapter 24. When we meet David in chapter 24, 1 Samuel, the, the book that is about Samuel, but really about David, we find David in En Gedi in a cave. David is in a cave. This same David who has defeated Goliath, that has fought thousands, that has killed thousands, that has set Israel free from Philistine rule, that has worked for Saul and freed the kingdom and built up the kingdom, the same David David is trapped in a cave, a dark place, a depressed place, a place where he has no control, a place where the Bible says in this particular instance, David is not only in a cave, but he is all by himself. And do, can I say today that all of us in the room knows what it's like to be trapped in a cave? That all of us in the room knows what it's like to be trapped in a dark place, in a depressed place, in a lonely place. All of us knows what it's like to have the world feel like it's closing in all around us. Like the more money we make, it's just not good enough. It's not, it's not enough money. That no matter what part of town you move to, it just seems like the old habits seem to follow you to that part of town. That no matter what kind of friends you get, you always end up with friends that keep turning their back on you. We all know what it's like to be cast aside, to feel like we're trapped in a dark, damp, lonely, depressed place. In fact, statistics tell us that almost most, most people around are express, uh, excuse me, experiencing depression on a daily basis, that just as often as we smile, just as often as we even draw breath, that some of us are dealing with depression, some of us are living lives even in caves. And whether or not you chose a cave, I don't know. But if you're in a cave, you probably fit into a few categories. See, we don't, first of all, always choose our caves. 
So I want somebody to know that just because you're in a cave doesn't always mean that you've done something to, to be in that cave. The reality is that some of us were born in caves. I was born into the cave of Brooklyn, New York in a two-bedroom apartment where eight of us lived and some of us slept in the closet. I was born into the cave of food stamps and social and, and government assistance. I was born into the cave of my skin color. I was born into the cave of my sinful propensities. And the reality is that there are some sins that we are attracted to, not because we want to do it or not because we're simply weak, but because it is in our DNA because we didn't choose our cave. But the fact is that although some of us didn't choose our cave, we all got to be honest today that some of us in the room are in caves because we put ourselves in caves. That some of us are in caves because we've made bad decisions. Some of us are in caves because we dated the very guy that God told you not to date even after you prayed and had people praying for you. Some of us are in caves because we've made decisions to go left even after fasting and God telling us that we ought to go right. Some of us are in caves because we applied for jobs that God never told us to go apply for. Some of us are in caves because we're driving cars we can't even afford to make payments on. Some of us are in caves because we're wearing clothes we can't afford to maintain. And some of us have got more clothes in our closet than we've got time to even think. What I'm saying is that some of us have put ourselves in our own caves. And then, of course, there are others like David who have not done anything wrong. He did not choose his cave. He did not decide to go to a cave. But if you follow the life of, of, of David, you realize that David is in a cave because David has been doing the right thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, especially in this Christian walk, there is nothing worse than finding yourself in a dark, depressed place simply because you've been obedient to God. Now, I don't know if anybody in the room can testify that you did exactly what God told you to do. You went to the church God told you to go to. You worshiped the way God told you to worship. You've been walking the way God told you to walk. And everything God has told you to do has led you to a cave. This is where David finds himself in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And even before this, David was a shepherd boy, the kind, good-looking young man who had a heart of worship that even though his brothers were off to war, he was tending his father's sheep. He was worshiping God. He was fighting in the spirit of God. The same David who Samuel had anointed to become king, the same David who rose up when the entire nation was filled with cowards and would not fight Goliath, David said, not in my own strength, not in someone else's armor, but I'm going to stand up to this man because you ain't just going to disrespect my God. The same David that did everything that was asked of him, even though Saul was trying to kill him, David married Saul's daughter because Saul was trying to kill him. David was sent to war because Saul was trying to kill him. And with every step of his life, David simply obeyed and followed the commands of his king and his God. And it has led him to this cave. Anybody in the room know what it's like to do the will of God and just end up inside of a cave? And maybe David, like some of us, are sitting in our caves contemplating. I can imagine David alone in the dark thinking about what did I do to get to this place? God, all I've done is listen to you. God, all I've done is your will. God, I've gone where you told me to go. I've accepted the job you told me to take. And yet my bills are more than the paycheck you told me to go and apply for. Maybe most of us are like David in the, in the cave, doubting God and thinking about what we can do or what we should have done or could have done or would have done. Or maybe like David, we're thinking about what we would do if the roles were reversed. If we could just 
flip the script and stop being the pursued and start becoming the pursuers. Like, what would we do if we could have been Saul and not David? What would David have done if he had been anointed first and Saul anointed second? What would David have done if he was the king and Saul was the young man? What would David have done if, if, if Saul had married his daughter and had become best friends with his son? And if he had a kingdom where the people loved Saul, what would David do if he had the opportunity to repay Saul the evil that Saul has brought on David? Should have, would have, could have. The Bible says that David gets his chance. David is hiding in a cave in En Gedi. And the Bible says just prior to this that he is in a few other caves and Saul has been pursuing him. They've been going back and forth. Jonathan, David's best friend, Saul's son, has been helping him to evade, evade his own father. His father has basically cursed him because his father realizes that if David succeeds, that Jonathan will never be king. Jonathan, on the other hand, has already said to his father, who am I to stop the will of God should another man take my inheritance? And he's been helping David, and David has been fleeing and running from Saul, and things have been happening. And right before this, Saul leaves chasing David to fight the Philistines, and David takes the chance to re relocate to En Gedi. He sets himself in a cave. The Bible says that when Saul finds out where David is, he takes 3,000 men to go and find David. And we know from prior verses that David only has about 600, so David is grossly outnumbered. He is on the run. He is in a dark, depressed cave. His mother, I mean, his brethren and his family have now joined him, and Saul is in hot pursuit. And the Bible says that Saul is walking through the wilderness of En Gedi, looking for David. And as he is walking through the wilderness, he takes a moment to simply, the Bible says, relieve himself. That is, that Saul had to, uh, 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 he, had a, he had to make a bowel movement. Saul went up, you know, like we used to back in the day. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm telling myself, were you on the long road trips before we, uh, we, before we started making a lot of money? You know, we, we couldn't wait till we got to the rest stop. We just pull over on the highway. It was one of them kind of situations. Paul, Saul climbed up into the mountains looking for privacy for a place to relieve himself, and God led the enemy of David right into David's hands. The Bible says that as Paul goes into the cave, he disrobes himself, lays his robe to the side. Paul is, I mean, Saul is naked, literally caught with his pants down, and David is in the very same cave with his 300 men. Saul, who had brought thousands of men, now finds himself outnumbered, 600 to 1. The Bible says that all of the men who have been going through cave experiences with David decide that this is a move of God. Now, I probably could stop here and talk about the crowd that's around you, the people that God may even put in your life who will try to help you interpret the moves of God in your life. We don't have time for that. The Bible says that they told David, this might be a move of God. You ought to rise up now and kill Saul before he gets a chance to kill you. The Bible says that David, I don't know what he was thinking, listens to them. He's thinking, I can finally be free. I've already been anointed as king. If I can just kill the king, maybe I can take the kingdom. And him listening to the crowd, the Bible says he goes to find Saul. He sees him. I don't know if he sees him stooping or sees him kneeling or facing a corner, whatever. But David cannot bring himself to kill Saul. 
So the Bible says that instead of killing him, he cuts off a piece of his robe, maybe because he feels in the moment like he finally has the upper hand. Maybe he'll use it as a trophy to see, to show people I'm better than Saul. See how I had the opportunity to kill him, but I didn't. I don't know why David does it, but he cuts the robe off that Saul is wearing and he goes back to his men. And the Bible says that as David goes back to his men, he realizes that although he does not kill Saul, that the mere fact that he rose his sword against Saul or even thought to hurt Saul, that he had done something wrong. The Bible says that he confesses. He says, how could I? Far be it from me to raise my hand and touch the Lord's anointed. David in this cave has an aha moment. David realizes, just like we said earlier, that although the past was troublesome and although the future is, is, is something he cannot control, he can only control his present situation. And with his present situation, David decides that he's not going to be in control, but that God's going to be in control. See, I know that there's somebody in the room who's heard it preached before and probably expected for me to come up here with Pastor Hunter in transition to talk about the Lord's anointed. Oh, don't touch the Lord's anointed. I know you're having a good time with Pastor Hunter, but don't touch the Lord's anointed. They'll be mad that the man of God is leaving. Don't touch the Lord. I didn't come here to talk about pastors or who you are not pulled down or don't judging of not judging other people. That's not what I came to talk about. What I came to talk about is the fact of what you do in your cave situations. And what David learned in the cave is that although the cave was dark, although he didn't do anything to deserve it, although he could have probably changed the situation, David learned that the cave was the perfect place to realize that God was the one in control. See, when David said, I be, far be it for me to touch the Lord's anointed, he wasn't talking just about the person. What David was saying is that this is a situation that involves people that God has his hand on. It is a situation that involves people who God has his hand in their life. This is a God situation. And if it's a God situation, then I'm not going to try to control it. See, the, real, the realization is, and the thing that God has sent me here to tell somebody, is simply this, that God is in control. See, you're looking at your paycheck and thinking to yourself, there's no way I'm going to make it through this next month. You're looking at your children and thinking, man, there's no way I'm going to keep him out of jail. You're looking at your other child and thinking, man, there's no way they're ever going to become something. You're looking at your husband or your wife and thinking, there's no way this marriage is ever going to work. You're looking at the city and thinking, man, we're going downhill, not uphill. You're looking at the White House and thinking, how crazy or can things get? You're watching CNN and Fox and Adam Silver and... and and, and whoever you watch and telling you about all the economy failures and coronavirus and you're thinking about Kobe Bryant dying untimely and all you're doing is starting to worry and panic and you don't know how to find yourself out of the cave. And God sent me here to simply tell you that even though you're in a cave, God is still in control. See, the reality of your cave situation is that your cave situation does not affect God's godness. See, God is in control. Job, he says to God, where were, Job, God says to Job, where were you when I put the stars in their place? See, he's the God that hung the stars and put the planets in orbit. He's the God that put the sun at a place where it is in the right place to keep us cold enough and in the right place to keep us warm enough. Scientists say that if the sun were to move a centimeter back or forward, we would either freeze to death or burn up 
like it were hell. God is the God that's in charge of that stuff. He's the God that has kept calamity from your family. He's the God that is keeping you in your right mind. He's the God that is in control. And it's about time that the people of God stop acting like something else is causing us to be in the cave and realize that cave situations come to show us that God is in control. He is the sovereign God the God that's in control. I'm reminded of Daniel chapter 2 and the, and, the, and the prophecy of the statue where the Bible says that there is uh, gold and silver and brass and iron and iron and clay. And the, 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 the imagery is that man is in charge of the world. But the Bible says that although man is in charge of the world and although the statue is faulty, that a stone that is cut out without man's hands, a stone from heaven hits the statue and becomes a mountain and fills the whole, whole earth. Why? Because although men think think they're in control, God is really in control. All of Revelation that we believe in as Adventists, the prophecies of Dan and Revelation, are not just given to us so that we can have prophetic or scriptural or, or, or denominational prowess and elitism. It is to show us that the God that we serve is not taken by surprise. He knows the beginning of the story, and he knows the end of the story. He said to Daniel, yeah, the guy that sits on the throne is crazy, but I'm the one who sets up kings and takes them down. And so even though you think that your boss is just the worst person in the world, the reality is that although your boss may control the company, God controls your boss. God is in control. And the reality today is that if we are going to make it out of the cave or, need I even say, be able to function in the cave, we got to realize that we are not in control of our cave situations, but God is in control. And so, number one, because God is in control, this is the lesson that we learned from King David. Because God is in control, you can practice self-control. Because God is in control, we can have self-control. One writer says it this way, to master one's spirit is to be stronger than kings and conquerors. The ability to keep oneself in check makes you more powerful than any king who can rule down judgment on a people. See, the problem with us as people is that we have for so long, we, we are so out of touch with the control of God that we have given our life control over to everybody else. See, the thing is that you think that if God is not in control of your life, that you are. But the reality is that if God is not in control of your life, somebody else is. Okay. See, somebody thinks that your identity, you're like, man, I don't care what God says about the way I ought to present myself. I'm going to dress the way I want to dress. The reality is there is not one person in this room that's dressing the way they want to dress. There is like a conglomerate that sits down and meets at some point in the year and decides what the color of the season is going to be. They decided that skinny jeans would be in. It's not that you like skinny jeans. You doing what they want you to do. See, what we have to realize is that when we is that when we allow for people like David did in the cave to dictate our actions, we give them control of our life. And we, especially as people of color, have to stop allowing for every little trifling thing to dictate how we move. Ah, but she said this, and he did that. 
and did you see what she posted about me? And man, he slid this in my DM. Who cares? Don't allow for people's foolishness to dictate the way you move. There's a young person in the room who goes to school every day in this very room. After they sing, they go to school, they cuss all day, trying to fit in. Not because they were raised cussing, but because they're allowing the people around them to control their actions. The reality is that when God is in control, you can practice self-control. See, when God is in control of a situation, you realize that it is not your job to vindicate yourself. See, what David realized in the cave was that his safety was never his responsibility to begin with. See, what you've got to realize, which we'll talk about in a second, is that David did not anoint himself king. David did not call himself to the palace. David did not send himself to fight Goliath. In no part of David's life has David yet to be in control. So why would David think that in this moment he can all of a sudden take control? Instead, David practices self-control. We've got to start practicing self-control, y'all. I'm just being real. You can't allow for Anderson Cooper to dictate the way you move through your day. You need to stop letting CNN and Fox dictate the way you think. You need to stop letting the local politicians inform the way you move. You need to start moving the way God wants you to move because ain't nobody else in control except for God. Good news about the spirit of God, the good, thing, good news about self-control, it, it's not even something you got to try to have. In fact, if you didn't know, Galatians 5, to 23, Paul says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, a sound mind, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which means that when Christ died, so that we could have the spirit, he made it possible that we could have self-control. Which means that if you're a child of God, you don't got no excuse not to be able to exercise some self-control. Just saying. Just last month, somebody made a declaration about how they were going to lose 20 pounds this year. I mean, you know, you can do keto if you want to, or low carb or whatever, Atkins, I don't know what people do anymore, or you can ask for the spirit of God to give you some self-control. Just saying. Somebody said, I'm going to cuss less this year. Now You can go through the year trying very hard not to cuss. Or you can ask God for his spirit so that his spirit will give you some self-control. Somebody said, I'm going to stop yelling at my kids because I realize that as I watch them move, they just like me. But instead of stopping to try to be a good parent and reading parent books and go following parent blogs and watching parent videos on YouTube, I'm going to pray for the Spirit of God to give me some self-control. See, the reality of my life is that as I read the Bible characters' lives, I kind of want people to remember me the way they remember them. You know, when you read the story of, for instance, Samson, or even if we stick with David, the Bible says that after Samuel anointed David, this is what the Bible says, I believe it's uh, chapter 18, the Bible says that the Spirit of God was on David. Have you ever thought about the, how the Bible says that the Spirit of God was on somebody? 
Like, how did they know that the spirit of God was on somebody? You know, when Samson did things, I don't know if you if you ever looked at the story of Samson. The Bible would say, man, Samson grabbed the lion and in the spirit of the Lord, he rendered the lion in two. Or in the spirit of the Lord with a, a donkey's jawbone, he slew the Philistines in the spirit of the Lord. And I always thought to myself, how did they know that the spirit of God is on them? And this is just my thing in life. This is my, my almost my mantra other than I can do all things through Christ, is that when people remember me, Corey P. Douglas, I don't want them to say, man, that brother used to preach a word or man, he could that guy could sing or you should want people to say you were talented. What you should want them to say is that the spirit of God was on my life. Not man, she was a good looking girl. No, 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 no. The spirit of God was on her life. Man, that brother. No, the spirit of God was on my life. And when the spirit of God is on our life, we can practice self-control, knowing that God is in control. But see, the other thing that David realized is not just that he had to, uh, to submit to the control of God and practice self-control, allow for the spirit of God to exercise self-control in him, but I believe that there was a part of David that realized his position as it came to God. See, the, David makes the statement again, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. See, I've already said that the anointing is not about one person or another. In fact, we know this because just as easily as Samuel anointed David, I mean Saul, he also anointed David. See, the one thing we've got to realize as a people of God as we are going through our cave experiences is that everybody in this room is a child of God. That God has set you apart. He has holified you. He has anointed you for good works and for purposes even before you were born. And see, what David had to realize is that God had not anointed him to kill Saul. He had anointed him to be king. See, I just, re- I, just, I just wish, man, that somebody in the room would wake up and realize that you are the anointed of God. Like, I wish that somebody in the room would stop letting other people define who they are, that you would stop letting all these brands tell you who you are, that you would stop letting Nike dictate to you who you are, but you will dictate to them that you are the anointed of God. I wish that we would teach our children, and you know, having four kids, I'm not, I'm not just preaching this, I'm... You can ask my wife. I'm trying to get my kids to understand that beauty doesn't come from what people tell you on the outside, that you were born beautiful, that even before I saw you, even when I saw the sonogram and couldn't see your complexion, you were just black and white. I had not seen the eyes of your, the color of your eyes. Your hair had not yet grown. But from the moment you were conceived in the mind of God, you were already anointed and beautiful. God says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I had already set you apart for a specific purpose. And David's purpose was not to kill Saul. Saul was God's responsibility. We are called. We are purpose. We are royal priesthood. We are chosen. You guys already know this. I'm not telling you something new. And when you are chosen, when you are anointed, you realize that when you fight, you're not really fighting against, okay, Ooh, how you say this? See, David had to change his perspective because for us, when we read the story, what we would have done is we would have said that us and Saul are enemies. See, David, when he slit the robe, was in that, my, that frame of mind. Saul's my enemy, I'm his enemy. But the reality was Saul was David's enemy. But just because he was David's enemy, 
didn't mean that David had to make him his enemy. Okay, I'm trying to help somebody. Because just because somebody keeps coming against you doesn't mean that you got to make them your enemy. Just because somebody has decided they're going to make your life a living hell doesn't mean that you now got to turn your life to making their life a living hell. And I wonder how many of us in the room are caught in cyclical battles with people allowing them to control our life because she decided to talk about me, and instead of praying for her, I started talking about her. See, what David realized is that his responsibility is not to call out his enemies. He realized, I'm anointed, I'm chosen, I'm a child of God. And even though Saul may be acting crazy, he's a child of God too. Okay. I'm just saying, in your marriage, don't mumble under your breath. Just remember, the person you chose to marry is a child of God too. Before you start writing people off because they don't share your political views, just remember, they are a child of God too. In fact, Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 7, don't go judging other people that you don't be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meted out to others, it will be measured back to you. And why beholdest thou, he says, the mote in your brother's eye? Instead, consider the beam in your own eye. And here is the reality of the situation in the cave. We are all sinners saved by grace. The slave was a sinner, and the slave master was a sinner. I know that's a hard word to swallow. But we all sinners, and God's trying to save all our butts. You're going to get out the cave. You got to realize it's really child of God versus child of God. Don't go around trying to make people your enemy when they don't need to be your enemy. The Bible says you live, if you live by the sword. Number three, and finally, I believe that if we're going to be able to either make it out the cave or have the spiritual and mental fortitude to make it in the cave, David has to stay in the cave for a little while, that we have also have to learn to respect the plan of God. See, David had to fight the urge to be led by human reason or feeling. Because David, just like the men said, could have come to the conclusion that God had put Saul in this place so that he could kill him. And how many times is it that we oftentimes get the will of God or the word of God or God gives us a directive and we simply take our own will and transpose it on top of God's will, trying to convince ourselves that what we want is what God wants? Or how many times have we talked to ourselves in God voice? impersonating God in order to justify our selfish acts and our selfish wants. The Bible says that we have to submit to the plan of God. And what we realize when we submit to the plan of God is like his word says, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So higher are the heavens above us than his thoughts are above us. In fact, 
you know, when you really think about the plan of God, it just makes sense to let go of what we want to do and do what God wants to do. See, at the end of the day, the reality is that David would not have been in this situation had the children of Israel stuck to God's plan. It was the children of Israel that asked for a king. 